Hello, kia ora, and welcome to Purpose Fueled Performance with me, your host, Tim Jones, the Grow Good Guy. And apparently we are live. It says we're live, so I'm, I'm going with that. Um, welcome, people of the internets. If you are here live, if you're listening on the replay, welcome to you also uh, to PFP TV number six, I think it is, uh, with uh, Christine Langdon. Christine, welcome. Kia ora. Who are you? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm here in Wellington. Um, beautiful day. and looking forward to a good chat with you talking about purpose. I reckon. So for those people who are maybe not from New Zealand um, or if they're from New Zealand and have been living under a rock um, and haven't discovered the awesomeness uh, that you are all about, um, who are you? What do you do? Uh, the main thing that I do um, is I have a social enterprise which I co-founded. It's called The Good Registry, and it's a platform where people give donations instead of gifts. So the whole idea is that we're about reducing waste, all of the wasted money and planet's resources that go into gifts that might never get used. So particularly things like Secret Santas and corporate gifts and some of the stuff that gets um, given and broken at children's birthday parties and having all of that money go to good causes instead. We've got 65 charity partners and people can choose where they want their money to go um, instead of uh, on the things that they might have received instead. Fantastic. Um, that is, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of those ideas that you sort of just go, why didn't I think of that? Because I know from um, my own experience, I remember one year I was general manager for a firm of surveyors and engineers and the Auckland, I think it was the Auckland marketing manager sent me an email to say, hey, you need to organize the Christmas gifts for all the clients in the Canterbury region. And I was like, cool, send me a list of those people and I'll work it out. She said, no, there is no list. And I spent about three days trying to find the names of everyone that we'd work with and then I was like okay what are we going to send them and it's like oh we'll send them some wine and it's like but we don't know if they're like red or white so how's that going to work and then what what wine do we get and in the end I said to my boss at the time I said you know what I think we just make a donation to charity and we'll send them all an email and say hey we've made a donation to charity so genius idea um what what was what was like the the moment that you realized that it should be a thing for you there were heaps of moments that added up to it. Um, part of it was some, a similar moment to the one that you just described. So my previous role was as the community manager for Z Energy, um, and Z's very committed to giving back in the community, and had started to move in that direction with corporate gifts, um, and had made the same decision in the last year that I was there to um, make a donation on behalf of corporate customers instead of doing gifts. And as a team, we were trying to work out which charities to give to and trying to figure out which charities our, our customers cared about the most and how to divvy up the money that we had between those charities. And then we went out and told the um, the customers who we had given money to on, on their behalf. And the insight that I had around that is it would just be so much nicer if the customer could actually do that gifting themselves. And then mm -hmm. they would know that the money is going to the charity that they care about. So what the Good Registry enables is uh, the, the corporate, um, or anybody, you or me, to send a yep. gift card 
to the recipient, the customer or whoever, and have the customer jump onto our website and have a look nice. at our charity partners, learn about those charities, maybe find out about charities that they don't know anything about, or maybe give to the charity that they always support, or maybe split a voucher between lots of different causes and um, get the joy of giving themselves. And through that, amplify the impact because once somebody has had the experience of making the donation through us, they may then think about doing it for their own gifting. Whereas if the nice. corporate just says, we made a donation on your behalf, yep. it's done. And, and the the corporate customer doesn't get any experience um, in that. And they're unlikely to think, oh, yeah, we'll do the same for our customers as well. And I'd, I'd heard feedback um, from people who had uh, received messages from corporates that uh, instead of giving their nice corporate gift this year, the corporate had made a donation on their behalf and, and you know, felt like they'd missed out on something in right. that. Um, so hopefully with the good registry, people don't feel like they're missing out because they're still getting the opportunity to do the giving. And we know that people get lots of joy from giving. It's um, one of the things that we all need for our well-being. Massively. So there was... Um... I think I might have mentioned this before on my podcast, but and it, it kind of annoys me a little bit because the study was done in a Coca-Cola office in Madrid. And I just kind of like, I don't know, Coca-Cola, discuss. That's a whole other podcast. Um, but they did a study where they they took a group, to, they kind of split the, the office into two groups. And one group was told to do um, a, a kind of random act of kindness or do as much pro-social behavior as they could. So offering to make someone a coffee, holding a door, like, tiny tiny things but up to sort of really big things like hey can i help you with this project what have you and then they studied the, the the two groups and the groups who were offering to to help their colleagues became happier and more engaged but what they hadn't reckoned on was that the the control group who kind of didn't know that this was a thing they also became happier and more engaged but they also started doing more pro-social activities themselves and the, i guess the essence of it is that doing good is contagious and mm -hmm. I, I love how you've kind of baked that into the to the business model where it's like do good instead of buying some cheap rubbish that the person actually doesn't want or need particularly secret santa it's just like Oh, thank you so much. You know me so well. You've bought me something that I don't need, I don't like, I didn't want, and it's just going to go into the bin in two days' time. Um, but also that element of letting the customer choose. Um, have you? Are there? How are Kiwis kind of interacting? What? What's the? Is there a? Are you seeing like a spread between social versus in, environmental causes that people are preferring? Like, what's? I, because I presume you're getting some good in, insight as to what's happening in the in the do good sector in that regard as well. Yeah, we were really conscious in choosing the charity partners that we had to give people that breadth. Um, you know, it was important to us that if somebody was choosing to have money go to a charity instead of to receive something for themselves, that they could feel a um, connection to the charity that they were giving to. So we've got um, charities that look after the well-being of children um, and old people and the environment. Um, We've got charities that look after animals and then lots of different charities related to different health um, conditions and health research. Um, so right across the spectrum, we definitely see um, a lot of people wanting to give to the charities that look after the well-being of children and um, and also looking after the well-being of people who have less in our um, community. Mm -hmm. So with the city missions, we um, partnered with all three city missions at the end of last year, partly off the back of um, 
COVID-19, there was this real sense that people had seen that they had enough um, while they were locked up in their houses for a good chunk yep. of last year. And meanwhile, um, there's the sector of New Zealand that just doesn't have enough. And it seemed ridiculous, I think, for people to be receiving more gifts um, for mm. themselves at Christmas when that money could be helping people in real need. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, I think people wanting to use the opportunity to have money that could have gone on something they didn't need to have it go to something that somebody does need. Um, we have a lot of children use the Good Registry for birthdays and um, children in particular like to give to other charities that oh, well. uh, look after other children who are less fortunate than themselves. So Big Buddy and Kids Can and that kind of mm. thing. Um, and then the environmental charities are really big as well. Obviously, every gift through the Good Registry is an environmentally friendly gift because totally. it's the money going to good causes instead of on stuff that we don't need. Um, we're not stealing from the planet um, yep. from the future for, for gifts through the Good Registry. And it's really cool when you kind of see that um, uh, layered upon with the money then going to environmental causes as well. Um, quite often we'll see somebody... Uh, and come on with a gift card for fifty dollars and split it between five different environmental charities and clearly right. environment is their thing and sometimes we'll see somebody come on and um give it all to one charity or split um split it between you know something for the children and um something for the environment and something for the animals uh so yeah you know different people care about different things and um totally. that's when we're trying to meet people where they're at to make sure that you can have the joy from giving to a charity that you care about not be forced to have the money go to something that doesn't really seem that you don't really care about yeah that's just, that's a really yeah. neat business model um and that's also super inspiring to hear kids giving to kids not doing as well as they are that that kind of just makes me feel a little bit hopeful. Actually, this is shameless plug for my daughter. Uh, we were in town the other day and there was a homeless guy on the street in, in the CBD in Christchurch. And he was like, you've got any change? And I'm you know, I, I feel like I'm like the queen. I never have any cash on me. I'm like, sorry, mate. And we walked away and my daughter was like, oh, wh why does that man need money? And I said, well, you know, it's complex, but, you know, he, he might be homeless. Um, he might just be struggling. You know, it's been a tough year. You know, so a lot of people are in bad times. And she said, oh, well, have you you've got no money? I said, no. And she said, well, I've got some crackers in my bag. Can I give him my crackers? And I was like, really? So because we were out for a day trip around town and she had some little snack pack. She was like, can I go and give them to him? And I was like, that would be so good. Um, yeah. And I think this is where I'm filled with hope for the future is that it's a it is a the human condition to want to look after those around you and do good um yeah. it's just that we've kind of been in a brief period for a couple hundred years maybe where we've kind of lost a bit lost sight of that um we've kind of trained that human condition out of children haven't haven't we because a yeah. lot of adults say to me oh well surely children wouldn't want to donate money instead of receiving birthday gifts and mm. that's because that was our experience of growing up yep. and that was what we learned to expect and yep. now that's what we're um paying forward to children of the future Mm. Um, we've got a young girl that we're actually just uh, um, talking to today who she's 11. Wow. Um, she used the Good Registry for the first time for her eighth birthday. She used it for her ninth birthday, her 10th birthday, oh, her wow. 11th birthday. Um, she's given um, her birthday money to um, Project Jonah. Um, to the Jane Goodall Foundation, um, to another of our environmental charities that might have been Sustainable Coastlines, and then last year um, to the Auckland City Mission. Wow. So she's like your, yeah, 
that's super it's just genuinely inspiring to hear kids because i think a lot of people kind of go oh kids of today oh they're just so entitled mm -hmm. and it's all about them and it's like well maybe it's look nice. at yourself yeah if, if your kids are entitled and, and like that well you're the parent <laughs> or you know yeah i think it's yeah. that's super cool um and we're not saying you know um i mean it's everyone's choice what what matters to them yeah, totally. and one of the things that we do encourage um if children or parents are looking at the good registry for children is it doesn't have to be all or nothing um mm. and that applies to adults for weddings and that kind of thing as mm. well it's about having the option it's about saying well maybe mum and dad will give you one gift that is actually something that you need and that you want yes. um and hopefully ethically and sustainably um purchased yep. is a good thing too um and and what you won't get is a whole lot of stuff um from the warehouse that all of the children who are coming to your party that their parents had to go and buy the night before um yeah and that there wasn't any kind of real love or meaning to those gifts mm. anyway and, um research shows a lot of them will end up broken and in the landfill within three months wow that's a frightening statistic yeah and, and yeah. i think it's um it's interesting when you look at the marketing done to little kids and uh, some of the stuff like my daughter had these lol dolls like these little plastic dolls I mean, it's genius, the marketing is, you know, you got to get them all. And there's literally like 2000 different dolls and combinations of dolls that you can get. And so for a brief period, you know, every every birthday, it's like, I want one, you know, from you. Uh, and then all her friends would buy her one. And so she, she ends up with a thousand of these plastic dolls when there's bits all over the house. And yeah, I just and it came in this awful plastic wrapping that was completely, you know, unrecyclable yeah it's yeah. um such a cool solution so wh when did you what was the moment when you were like so you're working at zed head of community sort of engagement and giving um community yeah like what was there one moment or was it had you seen this somewhere yeah. else or like how did it start um lots of things adding up so i actually had left um zed before having the idea for the good registry i um, I loved Zed as a company to work for and also um, had a sense that I wanted to um, do something um, that I would um, hmm, shape and create myself um, mm -hmm. and working within a corporate, there's the corporate um, boundaries, I guess, to work yep. within. Um, and I also knew that I was so comfortable um, at Zed and I had um, so much going on that I wasn't going to um, do anything new until I created um, some space in my life to do that. So I left work without a plan um, and spent time um, thinking about what was really important to me. I knew that I did want to start um, some kind of social impact um, business or venture, um, but I didn't quite know what that was going to be. And mm. um, it started to take shape. Um, Basically, I knew that I wanted a way to contribute. I knew that I wanted to give others a way to contribute because I knew that um, I got joy from um, contribution. Uh, while I was at Zed and for a few years prior, I had been teaching yoga in prison. And that was just oh, the wow. thing that I looked forward to the most every week was the chance to be there with the woman and to um, be really face to face um, with mm women who um, deserved a chance and appreciated um, somebody coming in and um, believing in them and giving them a chance to do something different. Um, and so I wanted ways to give like that, that made me feel good mm. about what I was doing and wanted to give other people that experience too somehow. 
And I also wanted a way um, to give that didn't mean that we had to um, draw into our bank accounts or our wallets, um, but mm. use money that we were already spending on something that wasn't being well used. Uh, and I had a birthday and I received more things that I didn't need and thought, I, you know, I just wish I hadn't been given this stuff. And I actually did mm. take um, in particular a pair of gloves um, that I had been given down and gave them to a homeless uh, person on Courtney Place in Wellington and thought, you know, it would just be better if the money yeah. had just gone um, straight to supporting people rather than um, all of the um, everything that went into buying and making this pair of gloves and it was from my mother who is a terribly mobile and you know she had had to get herself into town and buy gloves mm. and get home and pack and wrap and, and everything else yeah um, and I was also decluttering the house and found lots of stuff um in the house uh, at that time that I had never thrown out and never used either that I'd been given as gifts and um just wished that there had been a um, better option um, for people and it's really hard to say to people I don't want anything because because then people yeah. it's kind of like this strange gift poker they feel like they have to give you something what you wanted yeah I'm pretty sure for my daughter's fifth birthday like we explicitly said no gifts like she mm. does not need anything everyone came with a big gift it's like you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, there needs to be some some law that if someone explicitly says no gifts, it actually, you know, we're not we're not being, oh, I, oh don't get me anything, wink, wink. It's like, no, actually, don't get me, I don't need anything. If I, I mean, yeah. we're pretty good as a family, like at Christmas time, it's pretty much, we buy a few things for our daughter, but the adults just go, you're getting nothing, you know. Mm. Like, we should obviously be using the good registry. I'll make sure that we, you know, <laughs> get on that one. Um, but yeah, just the, the mental stress that it creates on both sides. Like you say, for the, mm. for the person, I get, you know, it's mother's, well, I'll get my mum something on, and my wife something on the platform for Mother's Day. Hint, hint, rest of you listening. It, it, this is your <laughs> early warning reminder. You've got two days to sort out a gift for mum. So get on the good registry. Here we go. Goodregistry.com. Get your Mother's Day presents hooked up. Um, yeah, the mental anxiety that it creates for the present buyer because like, oh, what, what's like, oh, what do I get Christine? What did I get her last year? Has she got one of these? Does she like these? Um, is it from the right shop? Does she, you know, oh, I know Christine's a very ethical person. So should I buy it from, you know, all those, the mental taxation that, that incurs. But then also, like you say, for the for the gift receiver going, oh, thanks so much. Oh, now what do I do with this? Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. Maybe there's a study for some smart person at university to work out the the, the mental stress caused by birthdays, regardless of your own anxiety of, getting a year older <laughs> yeah and i have seen various bits of research around the stress that um that gift giving puts on people and also the amount of gifts that go to landfill um every yeah. everybody receives at least three gifts a year that they wow. never use um just go straight out on average they're worth about 25 to 30 dollars each um wow you know and if we just replaced for five million New Zealanders, three gifts per person, that would be 15 mm. million fewer things in the world. And if every one of those gifts was worth $10, then you could put a zero on the end of that. And that could be money going to good instead of um, yep. the Secret Santa gifts, for example, that just get left on the table at the end of the night 100%. and go straight to landfill. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and there's the environmental impact of that. I mean, you know, we're also becoming increasingly aware of the social impact um, of when you're buying those cheap things, those cheap, mm. gifts, you know, the, the cheap chocolates um, of uh, the working conditions and the production yep. line for it's those. A double whammy. Give a child a gift that some other child 
was working, you know, child, yep. child labor was involved yep. in the function. And uh, exactly that. That's a big thing I reflect on, you know, with a young daughter. It's like, which which of these gifts that you've just got from your friend was made by a girl your age in maybe Southeast Asia or in Africa or, mm. or, or wherever you, yeah, it's quite sobering when you sort of, you really do think about that stuff. Um, where, where do you think, where did Secret Santa come from? I'm guessing this is from our compadres in the good old US of A. It, it must be, it's, it must be, a, and I've, I'm going to blame it on them. It must be. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, yeah. it's, it's a relatively new thing. I'd think, isn't it? I, don't, I certainly don't remember my parents kind of talking about Secret Santa and I don't remember having it in the first few years of me working um, in sort of big companies. We'd have a Christmas party, but there was no rule. I'm pretty sure, oh, maybe, I don't know. I've definitely the first time I encountered it was in New Zealand. And I was kind of like, what, what do you mean? Secret Santa? What, one of us dresses up as Santa. But like, no, you have to go and buy something. Oh, okay. That's random. Yeah. For, I have to buy something for someone that I don't know who I'm buying for. It's like, okay. So yeah. I'll just buy some, I'll buy the cheapest bit of crap that I can find for five bucks. Well, the most inappropriate piece of crap, you know, because it's going to be somehow <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, despite yeah. the fact somebody is inevitably going to end up offended because they don't yeah. understand why. <laughs> understand your humour. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, um, you know, when I was doing that clean out of the house that helped prompt the idea for the good registry, um, there was a drawer full of secret Santa type gifts um, of varying levels of appropriateness and inappropriateness. Um, mm which I'd kept thinking maybe I'd re-gift re as Secret Santa gifts one day, but they didn't yep. even feel like gifts I'd want to give even make to that. anyone else as Secret Santa. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. So prison yoga, how do you, how did you get into that? Well, that's, that's a story. Uh, that's a, that's a story to unpack in, in itself. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> um, I guess it's just kind of part of that um, journey that I was on of um, discovering that contribution feels really good. Um, mm. I had uh, left left another job where I decided that I was in an awesome job and uh, nevertheless it would be a good thing to leave just to open up more space for new opportunities in my life and mm. one of those new opportunities was going and doing teacher training for yoga and the reason that I did the yoga teacher training was not that I wanted to be a yoga teacher but because I wanted to have a more um, committed um, practice of yoga mm -hmm. in my life because I just know that it feels really good when you do it every day and I used to prioritize lots of other things instead of yoga I was very much a yes person to whatever came along on mm -hmm. the day not wanting to miss out on anything um, so that I'll go to yoga teacher training and that'll get me doing yoga every day. And um, at the end of the program, they wanted to know what we were going to do with our teaching. And uh, like I said, I'd not planned to do any, and, but I had got to a stage where I thought, well, what I'd like to do is give my teaching away. Um, and I'd like to give it to, um, to, to women and to disadvantaged women. Um, and, in another previous life as a journalist, um, something I had encountered was being in prison, interviewing prisoners and seeing um, the humanity in prisoners and mm. um, the chance that they deserved. And so, yeah, that was what I was drawn to was there are women in prison who deserve this opportunity to experience yoga. So why don't I do that? Um, and I taught probably for four or five years. I can't quite remember how long oh. in the Arohata Women's Prison in Wellington here. And what sort of um, impact did you see um, in terms of development uh, and, and changes within, you know, the, the group that you were working with? Um, I saw 
daily impacts, you know. So there was some long-term stuff of women who were introducing their own practice in their cells, and that was um, really helping to to ground them and um, to um, make them more present. Um, yep. And then just, you know, in a standard practice, there were things like they don't normally get touched. And for me to go and, you know, do a gentle hands-on adjustment, put my hands mm. on their back, um, uh, you could just see their bodies soften um, into that. Um, I remember one of the prisoners saying to me um, at the end of one of the classes, she's like, Miss, I just never felt so good. Wow. Um, and, um, and I would also look for opportunities to acknowledge them when they had um, done a good practice um mm. and you would just see that the chest um lift and and um yep. blow come in and um, one of my insights was that these women possibly um right from childhood had not had positive reinforcement mm. um probably quite some time um yep. if and to just receive the positive reinforcement um yeah with, it's important or might be um, what else they might be doing. Yeah. Totally. I think it's it's the whole, I mean, from, from all the sort of research work I've done on, on purpose, you know, you, you look at what's what's the, the worst thing we can do to a human is solitary confinement, you know, to remove mm -hmm. human contact connection, the ability to dialogue, to have meaningful interaction with another human. That's the harshest. I'd argue that that's harsher than having a death penalty. You know, because that's, you, well, for what we know, that's kind of done. Not that I'm advocating the death, but you know what I mean? It's like solitary, long-term solitary confinement is the worst thing that you can do to another human. And I think there's some there's been some, I've read a, or watched a couple of documentaries on like the justice system in the Scandinavian countries where it's much more about that kind of restorative justice where they recognize that actually, I think there's a famous prison, I think it's in Norway, where there's no prison gates. They live in houses and they're kind of taught to cook. Um, they have to kind of self-manage. Um, there's like one prison guard, but he's kind of more of a, a mindset coach. Um, and, and their recidiv recidivism rate is the lowest in the world. Whereas the US and I think the UK has some of the highest recidivism rates because we're just going to treat you, you know, because we think you're a piece of shit. We're going to throw you in prison. We're going to, you know, just be harsh on you, which I think it's it's interesting that, yeah, there's a natural partly, I guess, maybe it's maybe it's upbringing. There's a part of it. It's like, well, yeah, you have done bad. You, you do need to be punished because we and there is an element of you have to be told that you don't do that again. Mm. Um, but equally, it's like, well, why did you do the bad? And let's let's get to the heart of that. And, and I do think there's so much more that could be done in terms of people who've just like they've made one bad mistake and they've come from a, a, a intergenerational background of this is all I know. I don't know of anything else. And I, I've made one bad mistake and I've ended up on the wrong path. But innately, was I was listening to um everyone's gonna be bored of me saying this. I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast again this week, mm -hmm. and there was a US um his guy, he was incarcerated in the US and he kind of felt that he'd been uh, wrongly incarcerated. I think it was on like a three strikes rule. So he, he he was illiterate, but he took it upon himself to to learn to read and write. And then he got a law degree whilst in university and then appealed his case and defended his own case. And and, and he got out, he, mm. he was released and you kind of go, well, people can turn themselves around, you know, okay. if given the right incentive opportunity and I guess a little bit of purpose in their life, you know, uh, and these are people who have just got so much hurt inside mm. from um, the 
um, start that they've had in life and they are not bad people. And, you know, yep. I touched on one of the things that um, drew me towards um, volunteering in prison was having visited prisons um, as a journalist. And one of those experiences was I was working in New York and I um, went into Sing Sing Prison where they had people um, who were in there in high, high security um, mm. training the guide dogs for the blind. Oh, wow. Um, and one of the men that I spoke to was in there for murder. Um, and what he had done was, um, in kind of like a street brawl, he had delivered a death pr a punch. Um, mm. and he hadn't set out to kill yes. someone. He had been triggered and mm. um, he lashed out. And, you know, we have had an upbringing which hopefully um, gives us the mechanisms to stop ourselves from getting beyond angry to um, mm. deliver a death punch. Um, but... For him, he, you know, he'd grown up in a really tough, really difficult environment, and and when he was triggered, he delivered a punch, and mm. and that doesn't make him a person who doesn't deserve yeah. any love. And to see him with his guide dog and all of, you know, just beautiful, loving nature, um, just for me reinforced that these are human beings who mm. um, have done bad things, not bad people, and definitely yep. people who deserve the chance to have some love and some connection. And for them, it was um, yep. love and connection from a guide dog. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, um, I, I guess, one of the movies that would bring that to life is that, uh, Falling Down. Uh, have you seen that movie? Um, what's the guy? No. I can't remember the name of the actor now. It's like this this guy, he's in LA, he's stuck in traffic, the traffic's, you know, stuffed. So he, he he's had enough, like it's too hot. So he gets out of his car and he walks to a McDonald's and it and it the clock ticks to 1001 and he gets to the counter, he's like, Hey, I just can I get a McBreakfast? And the guy's like, I'm sorry, sir. We stopped serving at 10. And he's like, I can see the McBreakfast. Like, just can you just give me the it's like a you know, a, a seemingly rational guy, white collar worker on his way to work within like within 45 minutes of the movie, he's got a gun and he's on a rampage. Um, and and you can see, even for you know, smart people from decent backgrounds, like you, you know, there's there's some days you you're getting close to a point, and I guess for most of us, hopefully, it's no worse than just you get a bit shouty at the kids, um, because you're, you're a bit stressed and tired, but yeah, you look at you, you've you've seemingly got no opportunity in front of you. You've got some horrendous, you know, traumas in your background, in your, in your, in your life. You have a really bad day. You're on the absolute bones of your ass. Yeah. You can, you can, I think you have to have empathy to understand the level of stress you could easily slip into, um, mm -hmm. given a bunch of co-factors that can be really making your life way shitter than most people can even begin to imagine. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, what about so what was New York like? Every day of your life has been a shit day, which is yeah, possible. and that that, that piles up. up. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's um that'll build up and build up and build up. Um, so what was how long were you in New York for? I was um working for the Dominion Post at the time, and it was a six month um secondment to um nice. the New York Post. Wow, and had yeah. they had a Kiwi there before? Were they like, who are you? Why do you talk funny? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about New well, Zealand. Very welcoming and friendly and nice. um, very excited to have a Kiwi there who they could show around the town um, and throw in the deep end on a few things. Nice. They were like, hey, New Zealand, is that down the road from New York? Like, where are you from? <laughs> Terrible New York accent. I've been to New York once and um, I, I was um, went to a nightclub. I was only there for the weekend because I was doing some training in Paoli in Pennsylvania. So we got a train down, down or up to New York. And um, 
I'll never forget, left this nightclub at about 3 a.m. in the morning and there was a, a traffic jam and all the all the cabbies just honking their horns. And it's like, literally, this is the city that never sleeps. This is insane. Yeah. It's like, how can there yeah. be a traffic jam at 3 a.m. in the morning on a Sunday morning? This is insane. Yeah. And so what we're um, things going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. An, an incredible experience and an incredible way to see a city working for a newspaper like that. Where, yeah. You'd have seen um, every part of the city, parts of the city that yeah. most New Yorkers don't get to see. Yeah. You know, from the absolute high life, um, because I was still earning New Zealand dollars, I would, um, and, and it was about the New Zealand dollars worth about 40 cents to the um, American. Mm. I would, I decided the only way to enjoy uh, New York was to try and enjoy as much of it as possible for free. So I would go up nice. to the um, team on the page six um, gossip page desk at the end of each day and say, what parties have you been inviting <laughs> And I'd have Classic. a snack, like this high. And, and they'd go, well, we're going to this one and this one. You, you just go through that pile and see what, what you want. Um, nice. So yeah, so, two parties like I'd never seen before in terms, and that, you know, it, the extravagance was again quite, um, looking back on it now, yeah. um, I'm a changed person. You know, I would walk <laughs> yeah, yeah. into those parties now and have a very different perspective to what I had been. But at those days, I loved it totally. really bad. So um, how old were you when you were over in New York? Um, gosh, I think I was about 30, uh, 30-ish. Yeah, so, you know, that's cool. Yeah, party time, you know. Yeah. Overseas yeah, in New York. So did you go to Trump yeah. Tower? Did you, did you get to a party there? I don't think I did. <laughs> No, <laughs> that would be, yeah, be one for, the, for the memoirs. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think it's all part of the journey, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I look if I look back at my thirty-year-old self, yeah, it's like show me the good time party. Yeah, who mm -hmm. like carbon what? Like who cares? It's like yeah, I'm just here for a good time. That's what life's all, life's about having a good time, people. Like you know, get on with it. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's where you start to realize that there's just as even though you're having all of these amazing experiences and so blessed in life that it just feels like there's something missing. Yeah, it's like I think for me, you know, I was a, a traveling sales rep and you know, I'd get to go to all these conferences overseas. And, and looking back, you, you start to realize how entitled you are when you're kind of going, Why is the towel not being made into a teddy bear shape on my bed? Like, how <laughs> like, get, get me the concierge, you know, it's like, really. You know, once you've stayed in a five-star hotel, I mean, you know, flown business class, you, you, you're ruined because it's like, well, what next? And, mm -hmm. and and that is the big problem with that sort of hedonic treadmill is that you want the next, but the next is not necessarily achievable for you. Um, yeah. So, so what was the beginning of the of the turning point of uh, sort of glitzy gossip girl party, Christine? Was there was there a specific moment, or was it a longer sort of cascade of oh, I don't feel so good doing this stuff? Maybe I could do something a bit more meaningful. Hmm. Um, so there was a um, a shift where I went. So I, I left journalism, and I you know I didn't. I, journalism was a fun, fun, fantastic career, and it was a real kind of party career. Um, mm. Uh, left journalism and started as I went into communications to really be drawn towards doing social good communications. So um, there were some conscious decisions starting to come in, which maybe surprised me, like taking a pay cut to um, go and work for a not-for-profit. So I went um, to the Red Cross to work. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, I'm actually taking a pay cut because for the first time in my life, I'm going to get to do work that really is about contributing back. Um, mm. So 
that started to come in there and then I went into a communications consultancy and the communications consultancy uh, that I was part of, one of the areas of specialty was uh, behaviour change social marketing campaigns. That was with Tracy wow. Bridges, who is one of my co-founders at the Good Registry. Um, so that was really her practice and I always wanted to be working on Tracy's projects with her um, around things like family violence and um, and alcohol use and that kind of thing mm. um, and then just saw myself increasingly being drawn to choosing work where there was a social benefit and um, interestingly the environmental focus has really evolved over the last few years uh, since giving up work because I used to be I, I had I literally had too much money um, mm. and I would buy things because I could and thought well why yeah, yeah. I, I'd buy this um, because I can afford it um, yep. and then not having money made me realize how little I needed and how much of what I was buying um, was having an absolutely unnecessary environmental um, impact um, mm. you know, for, a, for a thing that I might have worn once or twice uh, and even when we set up the good registry it was more about making a, um, a community contribution than an environmental contribution but I'm yeah. right at the other end of the spectrum now um, for me it's much more about um, about the nonsense of um, trashing this planet mm. that we've got this amazing planet that we've got so we can have things that we don't need I just don't get it, um, it it's like almost I think it's better than Einstein's definition of insanity, isn't it? You know, repeating the same. I guess it kind of ties into it, repeating the same thing and expecting a different result. It's like, well, maybe if I buy this thing, I'll be happier. And it turns yeah. out I'm not happier. I'll, I'll try it again. I'll try a bigger thing. I'll try a more expensive thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I think if you try to explain to an alien life form, yes, well, once every year, we celebrate the day that this person was born and we buy them stuff that they don't want or need. But if you, you love them, why would you do that? I don't know. And it's destroying yeah. the planet that you all have it. You all inhabit. Yes. Why would you do that? I don't know. Hmm. Okay, well, I'll just keep on doing it then. Yeah, when you sort of break it down, I think that's part of the problem, though. Like you say, we've mentioned a couple of times, it's just stuff that we've all we've always done, seemingly mm -hmm. always done, whereas we haven't always well, done that. With love. You know, it's kind of like yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I do remember kind of like looking at my pile of gifts at Christmas and my brother's pile of gifts and using that to assess whether we were both loved equally. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, and who who got the most? <laughs> Shouldn't go. Are you, are you are you over it yet? Are you good? You and your brother talking? <laughs> I'm over it yet. But, you know, I do think that we um, it's important totally. to have ways to show that we care for each other. But um, destroying the planet that yeah. our future generation needs is no way to show our kids or anybody that we it care. It seems a pretty dumb way, yeah. I lived with a family in uh, Australia for a year, so I left the UK for my first sort of sojourn. Uh, I think it's about 2001-ish. Uh, that's It's like 20-odd years ago now. It's just a blur of dates, but it was around about then. And um, the we, we, I saw the first Christmas there. Um, two things that I thought were really cool that I've tried to get going here, but they haven't really, hasn't panned out yet. The first thing is they wrapped all the Christmas presents, which they didn't have many, but they wrapped them in newspaper. Because it's like mm. it's recyclable, and we've got newspaper here. So why go and why go and buy some shiny uh, wrapping paper that goes in the landfill? Cool. And the other thing that I thought was really really cool because it was in Brisbane, so it's kind of a tropical environment. You know, why would you have a pine Christmas tree, and where do you get one anyway? Um, so they had a um, some kind of yucca or tropical plant that was just in the garden that they would bring into the house and they decorate it. And I'm just mm. like, I love this. It's such a cool vibe. Um, yeah. 
and, and it was way more fun. It's like, you know, cause you'd look at the newspaper articles. Oh, cause, and you could put a bit of thought on, you know, the boys got the sports kind of paper, you know, the dad got the, you know, the sort of the financial one that he was interested in, you know, it's like, well, you've put, you've put some thought into it. And it's like, yeah. I kind of don't care what the wrapping paper looks like. It's the, you know, and, and they were typically, yeah, we didn't, they weren't giving, you know, hundreds of gifts. It was like, you know, a wealth, I think they gave me an Australian rugby shirt because I'd been living there for a couple of months. Like, oh, well, thanks. You know, I'm part of the team now and I've still got it. Yeah. And we could yeah, just we're funny. Know, still be creative and show people that we care and actually have yeah. more fun you know, by um by thinking outside the square. I did a um a year of buying nothing new once. I actually still do, by the way, give people um a small number of people gifts, um, and they mm. are very thoughtfully chosen, yep. um, as well as giving people good gift cards. Um uh and I do, you know, always use recycled paper or brown paper for the gift wrapping that I do. Nice. But anyway, I did a year of buying nothing new when I did not. Um, give people gifts and my solution that year was to make everybody a gift card which offered them some kind of experience so we are going to um, go and play golf together we are going to nice. go out you know so it was all thinking about the person and what that person liked to do and doing doing an experience um, with that person and that's you know um, nice quality time with um, the person that you care about and no waste. Nice. My sister-in-law is actually pretty good at, good at that. Um, she hasn't got kids, so um, she'll do that for our daughter. She'll say, hey, you know, for, for your Christmas present or your birthday present, you know, you get a day out with Auntie Melissa um, and we can go, she's got a friend who's got some horses. So we'll go pony riding. We'll go to the swimming pools. Yeah, it's, it, it's again, it's that human connection. You know, you get, you have more enjoyment and more memories um, out of the, um, the experience of a day out with someone than you will for some, yeah cheap plastic tap that's going to go in landfill and um, mm -hmm. we've got a few people on the live stream so come on people your chance to ask christine some questions i'd really be keen to know if someone's listening in live what's the worst gift you've ever given or received i think that would be an interesting and if you're listening after this put it in the comments somewhere or message me i don't know we'll flush it out um I've got i do a remember reading of one of my worst gifts um, oh let's go which one yeah. you, got it, you got it hanging up yeah. you're gonna name and shame um, I might have put it upstairs. I don't have it handy. But basically, um, one of the gifts that was an inspiration um, for the Good Registry was um, my grandmother, bless her, um, liked to give, you know, kind of homemade gifts that she had bought at craft fairs or something yeah. like that. And um, she gave me this funny lacy dolly thing one year when I was in my <laughs> 20s. Um, and... Um, I loved my grandmother and I did not have the heart to throw um, it yeah. away. And I was on holiday once when um, there was one of the major earthquakes in Wellington and some friends came around to check out my house and they sent me a message going, it's okay, everything's in order, apart from this horrific thing that you found <laughs> in your bedroom and sent a photo of them with this crazy looking doll. And I was like, ah, oh, it's got to go. Um, be reverse burgled. It because it was my grandmother who's no longer here in the world with us. Yep. Um, so it was, it was a part of her. Um, and a wonderful suggestion that a friend made was to take a photograph of it. And, yes. um, then I was free to part with it. So yes. I have this pretty cool photograph of the pretty weird doll and um, someone, maybe hopefully um, a child or you know someone who will yep. appreciate a funny, lacy, weird homemade doll. Um, <laughs> is it now? Or maybe it's in landfill, which is a shame, but um, yep. 
I guess that's where it was going to end up. Taking, anyway. taking photos of things. That's a really, I did that, um, oh, I'd be about, I don't know, five or six years ago now. I had to go because <clears throat> my mum and dad, well, my mum and dad were divorced. My mum was moving out of the sort of the family home. And so there's a whole lot of, I mean, there was stuff of mine that my mum and dad had kept from when I was like born, like a whole yeah. heap of stuff. And, um, you know, like pretty much every school report and a whole lot of school books and all the rest of it. And I was like, I'm not, you know, I can't pay, A, I can't pay, and B, what is the carbon footprint of shipping this crap to my house to put in my attic space? And so mm -hmm. I did that. I had, a, I had a whole lot of old rugby shirts from when I was little, you know, clearly aren't going to fit me now. So, yeah, I, I, took, I made sure I took a photo of everything that I thought I might want to have. Um, and it, there was a massive sense of release because at the time I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that, it's quite, it would be quite cool to have my rugby shirt, my first ever rugby shirt from when I was like four or five. Like that's quite a cool keepsake at some level, but where am I going to put it? So yeah, I took photos of everything and then I went through all my old school notebooks. I even had like all my history um, degree notes and stuff like that. And I just kind of kept one from one thing from each year. So I've had like, you know, 10 little bits and they all fitted into everything that I wanted to keep. I kept a few of the bigger rugby shirts that had a bit more sentimental value, but pretty much I got everything into one small backpack. And I'm like, I'm happy putting that in my luggage and taking that. But yeah. we probably did like four trips to the dump. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's insane. But I think it, you do need to have, I think it's good to have some connections to your sort of ancestry and, you know, um, or your history and where you've come from. and so, But like you say, if, if it's got a bit of depth and meaning to it rather than, you know, another piece of tap that I got from great auntie or great uncle, whoever. Mm. Yeah. And it does feel good to have a home with less in it. Um, and totally. we do get stuck in holding on to things because mm. people gave them to us regardless yep. of whether we're ever going to use yep. them or, and, <laughs> you know, yeah. unless they bring us great embarrassment because they're... Um, <laughs> yeah, that's straight out. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and there are ways to part with things. And unfortunately, it might still mean those things are going to end up in landfill. The wonderful mm. thing is there's so much happening at the moment in the world of um, reuse, uh, yep. including reuse of fabrics and stuff like that for... Mm. Um, fabrics are now being used to make roads and um, all kinds yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some interesting stuff happening. Mm -hmm. There's, a, I remember actually, there's an interesting book, I can't remember the lady's name, I'll put it in the comments below or show notes wherever this is out. Um, but she was a British lady married to a British guy, and he got this like this dream job to go and work at Lego in Denmark in their corporate headquarters, which in and of itself, this is a shout out to Mr. John Henderson, my uh, geography school teacher uh, from the UK doing my A-levels. And um, the reason why the headquarters of Lego is where it is, it defies all logic from a, a geographic location because it's not close to water. It wasn't close to any major infrastructure. It was like the worst place you could put a manufacturing plant, but it was where the founder of Lego lived. And he's like, mm. I just want to build it in my hometown. So mm. there you go. That's a fact you can have for any trivia nights. Um, but he got this dream job and she was a journalist and she was kind of like, well, I don't speak Danish. Um, I'm probably going to really struggle to get a job as a journalist in Denmark. What can I do? And so she did some research and realized that like year on year, the Danish are ranked as one of the happiest nations in the on the planet. And so she thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll research and write a book on why the Danish people are so happy. And so she got the book commissioned before she went. So she was all set up. Anyway, it's a really, really interesting book. And one of the things that really stood out for me, she kind of, I think each chapter is like one of the pillars that contributes towards Danish happiness. And one of them, and I thought this was, this is kind of like really interesting to ponder on is the whole Scandinavian furniture, Ikea, you know, thing is based on the, the heritage that a lot of Scandinavian furniture is wooden, 
nature you know natural materials handcrafted hand carved that were typically handed down from generation to generation and because of the scandinavian i guess it um design style hadn't really changed massively throughout that period and so one of the things she she researched and discovered is is that sense of um energy that an old physical mm. object can bring to a room mm. but also just the fact that in a, in a life that is fragile and easily taken away having solid furniture like this just solid supporting items that you physically touch like a dining table dining chairs a sitting room chair added a level of comfort to people's lives and i think we have really really lost sight of that it's like just go and get the cheapest desk i can for my home office well, I, I didn't do that but it's easily done buy cheap if it breaks i can just i know i can get another one instead of thinking actually do you know what i'm going to buy the most expensive one i can with the intent that my child is going to have this and maybe even their child's child and there's something but i guess it's the the conscious uh or the the modern consumer capitalist world we live in you know exponential double digit endless growth where we have to i can't just sell you one table i need to sell you 50 tables over your lifetime otherwise our business doesn't stack up it's a big one yeah it is and there's also a world of second-hand tables yeah, yeah. Um, that yep. we can choose instead yep. of um, tables yep. that have been made new as well. Totally, which are probably 100 years old and will last for another 200 years, whereas the yeah, one you get is flat-packed. Isn't incredible that just yeah. how well the old stuff lasts compared with yep. anything we buy today, our, our toasters and our um, yep. jugs and our phones that um, – Somehow it's just kind of not working slightly, and yep, after really a couple of years, it to get it repaired. So it yep. just has to go to landfill. Mm. We had, we had a kettle do that a few years ago. We spent a lot of money on a kettle. I mean, it was partly the you know it looked nice, and this is this was sort of before pre-purpose, I guess, when we were still you know, double income, no kids. Yeah, let's just buy a, let's buy a two hundred dollar kettle. And um, <laughs> it lasted it's it lasted less than the twenty dollar kettle. Yep. So you sort of go, well, that's just interesting. But why can't we have a kettle that lasts 100 years? Like, you know, we we have put, was it 2017? We put uh, well, some Japanese scientists landed a robot on an asteroid in outer space. It's like, okay, we have the technology for a small electronical mechanical device to do that, but you can't make me a toaster or a or a kettle that lasts more than three years. Well, Something's not right here. Well, that's the thing. Is it is it the sin of omission or the sin of commission? It's like, yeah. yeah. Could you do that? Well, maybe you should do that. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's the same in the world of building and construction. You know, I guess coming from the UK, I look at these beautiful Roman villas that are 2,000 years old that structurally are still pretty sound and they've got underfloor heating. And then you look at some of the modern housing we're putting up and you just go, and this is going to last 25 years? Again, mm -hmm. why, why can't surely – well, we do have the technology. We do have the capacity. We just don't have the will to build a house that could last 2,000 years today because we want it to yeah. be easy to pull down. Yeah. I have a real aversion to um, sending my broken stuff to landfill, and I mm. also know that I can't send it to, you know, the Salvation Army, op shops, that kind of thing because they don't want our junk either, um, despite the fact yep. that a lot of people send their junk and then they kind of know they, yeah, can yeah. Buy, they, think they can buy new stuff and feel virtuous. Um, yep but I don't send them my junk, but I also can't put it in landfill. So what I do is I put a box of stuff on the street outside my house and I write on it, this is broken, and it yeah. goes. And it goes, that's it. interesting. Because I know in Auckland they have the organic um, 
day i think it's called like organic collection day or something where basically you can do that you just it's one day a year you put all your junk out on the street and it's just like it's it's insane like people just driving around in big trucks just stopping at every pile on a street do they do that in wellington not as far as i know but um yeah. i people in my street have started following just me and we just put nice. it out when um <laughs> when we have it instead of on a nice. special day and um it's very rarely um, that anything is left, is left. in the box. Wow. Um, That's and super it's cool. very yeah. random, junky crap. Um, yeah. Well, was it one man's rubbish is another man's gold, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, we should email Wellington and Christchurch City Councils and say, hey, you need to talk to Auckland and get amongst it. Because yeah, the first time my wife was up there, she was like, why, why is everyone dumping stuff outside their house? And it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. They, they do this once a year. It's, and yeah, same thing. Like Most of it goes someone takes it yeah that's a pretty cool idea so um i guess we're getting close to time um but so have you do you think you've always had a leaning towards wanting to do good like you know were you did you have this kind of wanting to do good from a really young age or do you think it's kind of more blossomed as you've got into doing more good um i guess i'd answer that in two ways like I think it must just be inbuilt programmed in us because I mm. don't think I was special in that respect. Yep. I think I was um, pretty selfish and self-absorbed as a kid and yep. um, pretty absorbed in um, what I could have as a young adult um, and um, driven by um, wanting to do cool things and have yep. money to do cool things and own cool things and have money for that. Um, and somewhere there was just a point where i started to feel like um there was a big gap and uh i'd get to the end of a weekend having done really really cool things with really really cool people and going yeah but there must be something else yeah um and that was when i started volunteering and the volunteering started to show me that that's what makes the heart really happy and for other ways to contribute. Um, I definitely came from a family um, that was quite a service-focused family. My father was a firefighter and, um, and, you know, there was a real service thing in his family. And um, he also was just one of those people that would give and give and give and give of his mm. of his time as a rugby referee and to you know he taught my netball teams and he supported my brother through scouts and you know they were just always the parents that turned up to support and then supported everything else that was going on as well so i grew up around that but i don't think that i had any stronger predisposition than anyone else to do mm. good i really just think it's in all of us and yep. um the more that you do it the more that you realize how good it feels which was why i wanted to um do the good registry and give people the chance um who nice. might not normally give to charity or think about what they're consuming the chance to do that and to um to start to realize that it feels really good and that maybe like more nice so exponential goodness <laughs> yeah. that's super cool lisa thank you so much she's just said great chat team thanks thank for the purpose and motivation this morning coming from lisa that's pretty cool because like you are mrs purpose as well so lisa we need to get you on here as well so um yeah get your people to talk to my people, get you on here. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, this is, it's definitely the theme that I see. People want to, want to do more good. They've been disconnected from the idea of doing good because it's all about play your own game. Like you say, like have good times, earn good money. That's a good life. Like you're not going to be, society isn't going to go, Oh, look at, look what, 
what an awful person they are. They've got a good job with a good house. It's like, that's what we're all kind of aspiring to. But for many people, that's not what they're looking for. And and you get on that treadmill. And I think um, our old mate Gandhi summed it up really well. You know, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And I think um, if people are purpose curious, uh, I would suggest it would be, it'd be interesting. Like, go, go and have a look at the good registry. See which charity kind of piques your interest because that will give you an insight as to, okay, well, that, I mean, I'm interested in maybe giving some money to that. What, why that one? And and I think that's that's a really interesting part for people just to consider. It's like if I if I could only support one charity, which would it be, and then why? Why why do I care about that thing? And then see what the disconnect is between the day to day life that you're living and the good that you would like to see mm. happen. And and in many cases, the sort of cognitive dissonance of I'm actually working in an industry that's creating more of the problem over here. Mm, okay, maybe I could step out of that and. Yeah, there's so much to yeah. unpack. And on also, that just one. thinking about what are ways that you could build into your life to contribute to the things that you care about um, doesn't have to be through a massive job change. No, um, it, you know, and yeah, you could give to them through the good registry, or you could pick up the phone and see if they need volunteers, or um, you could just do a social media post that says, "Hey, I just." found out about this awesome yep. charity and this is the good that they do. Um, there's yep. lots of ways to support good causes that um, don't involve time if you don't have time or don't involve money if you don't have money. There's always a way. Yep, totally. So um, just a couple of questions, I guess, to sort of finish off. So for the for the charities, um, <clears throat> how do they get on board? Are you full at the minute? Do you Are you looking for more oh, charities? Because I guess we're not short of charities in New Zealand, are we? So you're full at the minute. So apologies to any charities listening who are like, oh yeah, we want to get amongst that. Um, when the charities were coming on, like, did, did you have any kind of screening um, mechanisms to ensure that it, you know, they weren't, you know, Tim Tim's charity and actually I'm just collecting daughter for, you know, money to get presents for my daughter for her Christmas present? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, because we've capped it at 65 charity partners, it means that we can have a reasonable amount of visibility, but not we're not digging down right into yep. their annual accounts. But we are only um, selecting charity partners that are registered charities in New Zealand, so yep. they need to meet all of the requirements yep. of that. Cool. Um, and with 65 we can keep a bit of an eye on um, on what they're up to, and we'll we'll notice yep. if they're in the media for um, for doing anything that Something they shouldn't yep. um, do. Um, and really, what we've looked for across the charities is um, to give the breadth and to make sure that um, the right mix of charities is there for people when they have a gift card to redeem or a birthday that they would like to pledge um, with a registry that they can find a cause that is close to their yep. heart. We don't want to overwhelm people with choice. I was but without over, overwhelming, because with too many options, you just you don't make yeah. any choices. So yeah. keeping that fine balance, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, there are five been... charities that might help children, or five charities that might help the environment. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, better than fifty. Nice. So what, what's been what's been the hardest part of the journey for you so far? Um, because I mean, doing good is is hard in on many levels. It's, it's something I hear from a lot of people in your kind of situation, you, you've left your corporate career. You could have stayed with good money, good opportunities. I mean, presumably you could have hopped to any other large corporate or, you know, some kind of move within, within Z, you know, big, well-recognized company in New Zealand, but you, you've kind of gone nut. There's another path here and doing good is not easy because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And, you know, you're crafting a brand new model, a new concept. So yeah, what's been the hardest thing for you um, starting out on the good registry? Um, I guess one of the hardest things is asking people for stuff because we are running on an ab- absolute shoestring. Mm. Um, we, we've we had to go and ask for 
free technology partners and free um, marketing partners and free accounting partners. And, um, you know, I always just kind of have a real uh, about yep. asking. Um, and we're at this point at the moment where we could do so much more if we um, had partners that wanted to contribute funding so that we could do more marketing and um, improve the technology. And I'm, I still need to work on my skills of making the ask and making me ask compelling um and feeling comfortable that it's that it's um that it's okay to ask because you know yep. um, we it's quite a kiwi thing and i know this is one of your areas of real expertise <laughs> um, is um is us overcoming the stories that we've had that hold us back from growth massively yep and i think you know I was running a session last night with the Impact Hub uh, based in the mighty Waikato uh, talking about, you know, sales mindset for impact driven entrepreneurs. And, you know, if if you don't ask, it's a no. Mm. And if, if it's a no, you don't go and make some impact. So what's more important? Mm. You may be getting a no, but you don't know yet because you actually haven't asked um, or you not being able to deliver the mission that you've clearly identified is a good mission yeah. that needs to be there. So, yeah, we're we're sort of slightly advanced chimpanzees on a floating disc in the universe, trying to work out what this shit's all about. It's yeah, yeah. it's interesting. And I just um, more gutsy about asking and um, and if people say no, saying it's a no for now, and I'm going to come yeah, back. Yeah. yeah, can I call you back in three months and see if it's changed? Yeah, yeah, sure. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, final uh, words of wisdom before we just tick over the the sixty minute mark. Um, advice to other sort of. I guess, burgeoning corporate refugees who've got, they're kind of like, yeah, do you know what? I've done all right. I've got a bit of cash saved up. I kind of want to go and do some more good in the world. What would be your your pearl of wisdom to, to the Christine who was sitting in their corporate yeah. job going, I want to go and start a social impact business? Uh, follow your heart. It will all work out somehow. Um, and it's worth it. You know, like there are a lot of sacrifices involved from the mm. comfort of the secure job and the secure paycheck. Um, and everything else that um, comes as a result of it is worth mm. way much more than um, that secure job and nice. the secure paycheck. I would wholeheartedly agree with that, clearly. <laughs> you can't put a price on your mental state of mind from yeah, connecting to the authentic version of, of you um, and doing good in the alignment. world. Yeah, what a crazy idea. Live in a lot, yeah. which is why I think we've got such a mental health crisis. Um, mm -hmm. this, it's, it's glorious in how absurdly awful this statistic is, but uh, a YouGov survey from the British government about 2018, I think it was, for, I think it was about 43% of British workers felt their job provided them with no meaning. And in fact, they felt their job was more than likely contributing to destroying the planet. And then we wonder why people are going a little bit bonkers. It's like, what's it's, yeah. I'm surprised more people. They think that, you know, they've got a mortgage to pay and children yeah. to put through school. And um, part of that story might be true. Um, yep. and, um, and it's worth taking the time to step back and look at our lives and what we want to contribute and how we can get there and yep. whether we're really as trapped as we think we are. What a great phrase to finish off on. Hey, Christine, thank you so much. Um, if people want to uh, get hold of you, clearly the Good Registry, um, like I said, it's Mother's Day in two days' time. Um, ladies and gentlemen, get amongst it. I, just go and buy something. I'm going to go after this. I'm hanging up this call. I'm going to go and buy something for my mum. It'll be interesting to see her her reaction. I think she'll be okay. 
Um, maybe get the same for my daughter, for, for my my wife. We'll see what she has to say. Unless she I, she won't be listening in on this. Um, choose what charities they um, choose yeah. to donate to with the good gift yeah, cards. It will be interesting. What the reasons yeah. are for choosing those charities? I'll go check it out. But Christine, thank you so much uh, for being on here. Thank you so much for the amazing mahi that you are doing. Keep it up. Um, yeah, if people want to help and get involved, yeah, go to the good registry. They'll find you um, and they can reach out to you. But yeah, thank you so much. You're a legend. Thank you. Always fun to chat with you, Tim. <laughs> we'll do it again. <laughs> awesome. Cheers, people. Um, I'm just going to kick Christine out of the studio. Um, you can stay in the green room, though. I'll pop back in in a minute. We'll, we'll say goodbye. Um, yeah, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Lisa, thank you so much for uh, um, your kind comments. Um, yeah, that was uh, PFP TV number six. Um, I don't think I've got one next week uh, because I've got uh, a workshop I'm running. But I believe uh, maybe the week after that, we've got Katie Patrick lined up. Katie Patrick is another absolute legendess. Um, here we go. I'll grab a copy of her book. There we go. How to Save the World by Katie Patrick. Um, go and get yourself a copy before next week. Come and ask some great questions. But yeah, um, hopefully you're enjoying these PFP TVs. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Give me some comments. Give me some feedback. Let me know how it goes. If not, have a great purposeful weekend. Have a great Mother's Day to all the mothers. Um, peace out. See you next time. Laters. And that's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening into my podcast. I hope you found it informative and inspirational. I'd love to know where you are on your purpose journey. And if you have any specific questions or people you'd like me to interview to help you on that journey, please do let me know. Also, feel free to connect with me on other social media platforms. You can check out all those links in the show notes below. And if you want to see how I might be able to help you specifically on your purpose journey, you can go and check out my website, www.growgood.co, or drop me a line by email, tim at growgood.co. All those links will also be in the show notes. I would genuinely love to hear from you. But anyway, until next time, go well and keep seeking that purpose-filled performance in your life. <laughs>